You know, the foundation that we have is simply God's holy word. My opinions are not important. Your opinions, while they might be valuable to each other, when it comes to truth, our opinions are only valid as they correspond with God's written and preserved holy word. Amen? This is the truth. Jesus Christ, when he was praying for his disciples right before he ascended into heaven, he said, as he's praying to his father, he said, sanctify them. That is, set them apart. Make them holy. It says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is the written, inspired, preserved word of God. And it's our job to submit to it. Does anybody here want to have a happy life? You want to have a good and happy life? You want your kids to turn out well and your kids to be successful and, and have a, a prosperous life? The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in... Let's look at it. Genesis. Let's, let's look at Psalm chapter 1 before we dive in. Psalm 1.1. 1, 1. Blessed. Of course, we know that means happy. Happy in the Lord. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So this is our admonition. If we want to be happy today, then we're going to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know there are ungodly people that want to tell you how to walk and how to live? Well, the Bible says that won't make you happy. Then it says, or standeth in the way of sinners. There are people that want you to live and walk and stand just like they do. The Bible says not to do that. And then it says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know that every time the word of God is preached, there is someone sitting in the seat of the scornful. That is where we're uh, like right now. I'm just we're just reading. Sometimes someone will say, well, that's just your interpretation. I didn't interpret it. I just read it. These words do mean something, right? And so here the Bible says, that if you want to be blessed, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. What is a scorner? Well, the Bible defines that for us in the book of Proverbs. A scorner is one who refuses to hear the words of God. So it says that the blessed man doesn't do those things. But look at the next verse. But that's a that's a contrasting conjunction. You have the man who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands in the way of sinners, who sits in the seat of the scornful. That guy's not blessed. But here's the person who is blessed. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's this right here. This is the law of the Lord. Not what someone says about it, but what it says about itself. And we're supposed to delight in it. Um, I knew a guy, he's a trucker, and he would pick up hitchhikers periodically. And somebody said, aren't you afraid? And he said, no, what I do is I take my Bible and I leave it open like this, right on the seat. And what happens is they open the door and they climb in and they go. <gasps> <laughs> it's amazing how people do not delight in the law of the Lord, but people who want to be blessed by God they do delight. There's a joy to hear it. You know, sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. They're right here. 
They're right here. And we delight. And then what's the result of that? Let's read on Psalm 1. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We said a minute ago, we want to have prosperous children. We want our kids to grow up to just have a great life. Well, we can do that as we obey what the Bible just said about submitting to his word. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 42 and we're going to learn some things from that changeless word of God. And there's some supernatural stuff that's in here. And don't get don't be afraid of that word. There we have a supernatural God. Amen. The way that we know this is a supernatural book is because he wrote history before it happened. And so we're going to read some things about the Lord Jesus Christ that were written more than a thousand years before Jesus Christ was born. So let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 42. We are looking at the life of Joseph. That's our graphic up here from the pit to the palace. Joseph is taken and cast into a pit, sold into slavery by his brothers who refused to bow to him. And now we have Genesis chapter 42. Let's read. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt. Now, let's stop for a second. Sometimes people get hung up because it says corn well, the Bible defines what it's talking about. In this time, when it's talking about corn, it could be any kind of grain. In the New Testament, it talks about a corn of wheat. So understand that corn was in America. Corn was not in Egypt, that kind of corn. But this is a general word for grain. And when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither. I like that, thither. Where are you going, thither? Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. That's a good idea. How many of you want to live and not die? Right? So now they've got a choice. They can, either, they can either live or they can die. That's where they are. Life or death. It's a famine. There's no food. Um, if you study history, there's not really been a, a general famine in America in a long time. There was the Dust Bowl, and, you know, some of you can probably remember that. that. But we've not really experienced famine. You know, you know the hungriest I've ever been was trying to find a hamburger in London. <laughs> you, know, that's a, you walk forever and ever and ever, you can finally find something to eat. I mean, that, I was in Africa, I was in Ghana for a couple of weeks, and man, I was hungry. I was the lady that was hosting us. She, man, she was trying to be so sweet. She was trying to make us American food. So she made us. She made some bread dough and she made us these little pizzas. And there was so, so there was tomato sauce, and there was um, hot dogs and tuna fish. She just heard about all this American stuff and she put it all together for us to eat. And you take a bite, and then you pray that the Holy Spirit will forgive you when you say, "This is good." <laughs> I lost, I don't know, 12 pounds in two weeks or something. Man, I was hungry. But really, we're not hungry, are we? We, we don't do without. This was a genuine famine. They had, to get, they had to get to a place where there was food or they were going to die. And God had told them this would happen. Remember, Pharaoh had a dream. He couldn't interpret the dream. He had one of his, his stewards who Jacob had, or Joseph had interpreted his dream in the prison. So he says, there's, there's a man in the prison who interpreted my dream. And so they called him before Pharaoh. 
And they asked him if he could interpret the dream. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? It's not in me to do this. But God will show you what he is about to do. And God told Pharaoh through that dream, through the interpretation of Joseph, that there were going to be seven years of plenty, lots of food, great crops, and then seven years of terrible famine. So what you're supposed to do is gather up food now so you can live through the famine. And the Pharaoh said, where can we find a man in whom the spirit of God is? Where, who is someone wise enough to do this? And he had Joseph. He took him from the pit and put him at his right hand in the palace. And he said, only in the throne will you be second to me. And then he said, everybody bow down before Joseph. So now we're in chapter, that was chapter 41. Chapter 42 now, we are in the famine. There's no food anywhere in the world except in Egypt. And so now they're either going to get to Egypt or they're going to die. So let's learn some things. We have learned as we've studied through Genesis and we've studied the life of Joseph that Joseph is a a type or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at Joseph, he was betrayed by his brethren. He was hated by his brothers. He, He was put into a pit just as if he were killed. He was sold into slavery. He was put in prison. All these characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about Jesus is represented in Joseph. So let's learn some things from this text. First of all, look at what it says at the end of verse 1. Why do you look one upon another? What Jacob is saying to his sons is, why do you keep looking to others for food? So imagine this. Here we are in this room all of us, and we're all starving to death. All right? And I look at Nick, and I say, Nick, you got any food? No, I'm here with you. I'm starving. I I don't have any food. Go to Rich. Rich, do you have any food? You got some food? No. No. And they're looking at each other trying to find the answer for their problem. There's no answer because we are all in the same boat. None of us have any food. And Jacob asks a really wise question to his sons. Why do you keep looking at each other? There was only one place where there was food, and that was Egypt. You had to get down to Egypt to get the food. If you stay in Canaan, you're going to die. There's no food. That's what's going on. Why do you keep looking at each other? You know that this is the state of the human condition. What we do is, let's say it's Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes, and and, and that's a helpful uh, program. I'm not speaking against Alcoholics Anonymous. It's helped a lot of people. The higher power needs to be the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just going to go back into trouble. The Lord Jesus Christ can change your heart, change your body, change your mind, can make you new. Isn't that wonderful? But the idea of going to a meeting where everyone is just like you and looking for answers, unless there's someone there who's in charge who can give the answers, the ones who are struggling cannot genuinely help each other. Amen? Has anyone ever heard of the blind leading the blind? That doesn't work out well. And so here, this is the state of the human condition. What we do is we look around and we see that there's poverty, there's hunger, there's disease. We see that, there's, that there are wicked and evil people. How many of you have noticed that? Anybody watch the news lately? People are crazy. And it's getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Who could imagine a mother driving her kids off a bridge? Who could even imagine that? The Bible says that in the last days, people would be without 
natural affection. Killing your babies? That is without natural affection. That's the world that we live in. And yet we keep looking for answers. Let's look to government. Let's look to politics. Let's make sure we vote the right people in. Let's make sure that we have the right positions. But the problem is, if you don't have an authority that says why you're doing what you're doing, well, that's just your opinion. That's just the way you see it. That's not the way that I see it. And everybody keeps looking at each other for the answers. And you know what God says? God says, why do you look one upon another? You need to get to Joseph. He's got the food. Joseph is a type of Christ. Don't keep looking to the world for answers. Look to Jesus. He has the answer for life, for joy, for salvation, for fulfillment, for answers to every one of life's issues. He has the answer. Some people look to a pastor for the answer. I'm not the answer. Man, if you got to know me real well, you'd know I'm just a knucklehead like you. I said that one time I was preaching at church in Oklahoma. The guy came up to me afterwards and said, I'm not a knucklehead. I think I said jerk. He said, I'm not a jerk. I said, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean <laughs> But here's the deal. I'm not your answer. Some people will look to a rabbi. A rabbi can't be the answer. Some people will look to a priest. A priest can't be your answer. A pastor, I cannot give you life. A rabbi cannot give you life. A mullah cannot give you life. A priest cannot give you life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Does anyone here believe Jesus Christ? The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So if I come and I say, Dan, here, look, if you'll, if you'll follow me, you can have life. Do you know what you're supposed to call me? A liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's just a lie. I do not have life. I cannot give you life, but I can sure tell you where to find it. Jesus Christ our Lord. Get to Him. Go to Jesus. He has the answer. You know, there are a lot of people who have looked to Muhammad. There are a lot of people who have looked to Gandhi. Gandhi had like 11-year-old wives and stuff. He was a wicked... We call that pedophile. That's what we call it. We don't call it great spiritual leader or great peace activist. But those little girls didn't think he was peaceful. Different sermon. Some people look to Gandhi. Some people look to Martin Luther King. And he'll give them peace. Some people look to some other leader, George Bush. I'm not sure why. Some people will look to all these different people. They looked at, Do you know what those great men, great in stature, do you know what they needed? They needed corn. They needed the same food for life that you and I need. They need to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ to have eternal life. Small and great, the Bible says, and I saw a multitude, small and great, stand before the great, before the, the throne. Everybody, everybody will stand before Jesus Christ. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody needs the same thing, but look at where they had to go. Look at what it says in verse... Two, And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. 
get you down thither. You know our problem? We don't want to come down off of our philosophy, off of our opinion, off of our high horse, and come down and bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And that's the problem. Everybody wants to have their own answer for starvation. There's only one answer, and it's the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ called himself that, the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem's name means? The city of bread. Jesus Christ is the one who gives the living bread. But you have to go to him to get it. He's the only one. You know, the text says that about Joseph. Look at what it says. Look at verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. It was only through Joseph that you could get the bread and have life. If you want to have eternal life, the only way that you can get it is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? You've got to be able to see the truth. You've got to be able to see it. Only Joseph could give them life. Then look at what it says in verse 2. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Do you see that? That we may live and not die. Anybody who wanted the corn could come and get it. You know, that's what happens when God is in charge of something. What did Jesus Christ said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life. He says, if you come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Anybody could come. Now, do you think that Pharaoh himself would have opened it up to everybody? No. What happened? God's man, God's representative, Joseph, was in the land. And he made it free to all red and yellow black and white they are precious in his sight it didn't matter what kindred what tongue what race what religion come there's bread for everybody isn't that right that's what it says and they could have life and live you might be sitting here thinking well you know what all this stuff that you're talking about that's good for you but I have my own way. Here's what the Bible says. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's only one way. What is the, what is the one way? Jesus Christ. That's it. Uh, can I do it by my good works? I'm really hungry. Man, I'm hungry. Uh, Nick, I'm starving to death. And Nick says, well, you just be good and your stomach will be filled. Jiminy Cricket would say, follow your heart. Just, just be good. Just, boy, if you're really good and you try really hard, your stomach will be filled. What did Jesus say when somebody was begging? He said, if you say, I'm hungry, and you say, be warm and filled. What good is that? It doesn't do anything. 
you got to have bread to be full. you got to have food to be full. Isn't it amazing the truth you get here? Brilliant stuff. Here's the deal. We know that. How many of you understand that good wishes do not fill your stomach? Good deeds don't fill your stomach. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. Coming to church doesn't fill your stomach. Well, you know, Baptist churches sometimes, you know, we like to eat a lot. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't. Coming to sitting in a church service doesn't fill your stomach. It doesn't do it. Becoming a Baptist won't fill your stomach. What's going to fill your stomach? Food. Food. And Jesus Christ said we need food. And it's a specific food. It's the bread of life. And Jesus is the only one who can offer the bread of life. That's it. So what you have to do, he said, get you down. You've got to come down from what you're trusting in. Come off of what you have elevated. And like the Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Whatever you're thinking, you pull it down. Listen to what the Bible says. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. That's it. That's it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They could work as hard as they want. These are, these are shepherds. These are guys that have fields. But the problem is, all their animals are dead because there's no food and there's nothing to grow. They can till the ground, they can plant, they can do all the things that they want to do, but it's not going to grow. There's a famine, so they're going to die. There's only one place to go for food, and that's Egypt. You can do all the work that you want to do. You can try and be a good person. You can be a good mom. You can be a good dad. You can wear the right clothes. You can wear everything just right. You can give the way that you're supposed to give. You can come to church every time the doors are open. You can get baptized till you look like a raisin. None of those things are going to save you. Only Jesus Christ. They had to get down where there was food so that they could live. Man. You know what I think? I think the person that wrote Genesis 42 might have known what was coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What do you think? Oh, just amazing. Then, look at verse 3. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Do you know what the famine did? The famine forced these guys to do something that they never would have done otherwise. How many of you ever said this? I never thought I'd be doing, and there's fill in the blank. I said, I never thought I'd be doing this. I remember one time I had a job. I was in Bible college, and man, I had a million jobs in Bible college. I had this job. I was working for Allegheny Industrial Cleaners, and we were at U.S. Steel cleaning up the conveyor belt. And my job, it's middle of winter, it's freezing, my job is to get down into this trench underneath this conveyor and get in axle grease this thick and reach down into it and pull up pieces of metal and get it out of the grease. Do you know what I was saying while I was doing that? 
I never thought I would be here. Isn't it amazing how life puts you in places you never thought you'd be? And it's interesting. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And it's amazing how sometimes you think that you're doing just what you want to do. And it's like driving on those cars down at Disneyland. You know, you got the gas, you got the brake, you think you're in charge, but there's this rail underneath. And it's just taking you where you're going to go, whether you want to go there or not. I really wish my wife had one of those underneath her car when she drives. It would be, again, another sermon. But we'll, here's the deal. God guides and directs us into places that we'd never thought we'd be. You know, it's funny. I bet you there's somebody here that's thinking, I never thought I'd be in this church. That guy up there, he's crazy. <laughs> uh, Stacy New asked her uh, neighbor to come to church one time, and the neighbor said, Isn't that where they have that short preacher that thinks he's funny? <laughs> she couldn't wait to tell me that. Oh, listen. It doesn't matter. I don't. It doesn't matter. Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Methodist, you know, Buddhist, Rastafarian, you know. It doesn't matter what religion you come from. It does not matter. If you want to live, you got to have food. I don't know. I guess some Buddhists, they can live without it. I don't know. You know, I don't know. If you want to live, you've got to eat. Amen. If you want to have eternal life, you've got to come to the only one who can give eternal life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting. Joseph's brothers, they never thought they were going to be going to Egypt. And look at what happens to them. Look at verse 4. Well, let's, let's jump down to verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold all, uh, sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. They never thought they were going to be doing that. You know what they thought they were going to do? They thought they were going to stay up here and have their own plans. Go back to Genesis 37. You've got to see this. Look at Genesis 37. So here's Joseph. He's only 17 years old. This is 13 years before the incident that we're looking at in chapter 42. Verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose. So can't you picture them? getting these big stalks and binding them together, okay? And he says, we're binding sheaves in the field, middle of verse 7, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. Look at verse 18. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And they said, We will not have this man to reign over us. There's no way we're going to bow down before Joseph. That is not going to happen over my dead body. They bowed down. (laughs) All of their plans. Listen to what they did. They take him. They throw him in a pit. They take his coat of many colors and they put blood all over it. And they go and tell their father that he's dead. Some wild animal killed him. They go back to the pit and he's gone. These slave traders have taken him. They sold him and the, the slave traders have taken him. And so now you have these sons of Ishmael who plot. And now they've got a plan. They're going to make him a slave. So they take him down to the slave market and a man named Potiphar, he's captain of the king's guard. He buys him and makes him his house slave. So Potiphar had a plan to make Joseph a servant and a slave. Potiphar's wife had a plan. Potiphar's wife said, come lie with me and he wouldn't do it. So he ran away from her. She kept his coat and accused him of trying to force her. So Potiphar throws him in prison. Now he's in prison for year after year after year. And The man who's the head of the prison finds that Joseph is a a man who's good at administration. And so he gives him a job and he has a plan for Joseph. His plan for Joseph is to do all the work in the prison so he doesn't have to do it. Well, he comes. and So now you have the baker and the king's steward, the butler. They get cast into prison and they have a plan. They want him to interpret their dreams and he interprets their dreams. And the the baker, he gets killed and the, the butler, he gets put out and released just like Joseph said. And they had plans. And their plans didn't include Joseph, but God had a plan. Can I tell you something right now? No matter what happens in your life, God has a plan. No matter what happens in your life, God's promises are true. You know, I remember a day when we're at the hospital or we're at home and Laura's giving Riley a bath and she notices that when she lifts up his arm, it just drops back down. She notices he's a little, he's got a little blue color. So we take him to the doctor, and we weren't really that concerned because Riley was sick a lot. And the doctor becomes concerned and has an ambulance come and takes him to the hospital. And so as I'm following the ambulance, Laura's in the ambulance with Riley, and as I'm following the ambulance to the hospital, I'm not even worried. Riley's at the doctor two or three times a week. There's all kinds of things going on. I'm I'm not concerned. A little while later, a doctor comes out and says, your son only has about three or four hours to live. As I was standing there, I never thought I'd be there. Pastor comes and says, Jim, have you thought about, you know, funeral arrangements? No. Do you know what struck me right then? I work at Circuit City selling car stereos. I don't have any money. So now my son's about to die. I'm being asked about the funeral, and I don't have any money. And I'm thinking... 
I never thought I would be right there. I go to try and get some change. and I, I wanted to call my, my dad and some other people because they wanted us to make a decision whether we're going to try and put them on life support or not. I don't know what to do, and it was before cell phones and all that, so I went to get some change in the gift shop, and the lady kept making me wait and wouldn't give me change and wouldn't give me change. And so I finally just reached over and opened the register and put my money in and grabbed some quarters, and she slammed the register on my hand and started screaming for the police. And I lost it, and I started screaming at her. I said, all I want is some change. My son's about to die. All I want is some change. There's a little man standing there, and he starts reaching in his pocket, and he's trying to give me some change. And he said to her, can't you see he's having a bad day? Help him out. And I went and tried to get a hold of somebody, and I couldn't reach anybody, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what to do. So Riley dies. Mike Fox, a man from the church. I remember him just kneeling there in front of me while I'm holding Riley while he takes his last breath. Mike is just weeping. He's just weeping. I remember thinking, man, I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I would be here. Then we have the funeral and all of those things and everything's a whirlwind. I remember one day I came home from work and I, you know, I was working full time and going to school full time. This is just a week or so after that had happened. And I remember I walked in and I, I just walked in and I went into Riley's room, which is what I had always done. And it was, oh yeah, he's gone. I never thought that I would be. And I can remember times when all that we could do, Laura and I, would be to put our face in the pillow and just say, Oh, God. Oh, God. And many of you have been there. That is about 15 years ago now. Do you know what I've learned since then? God's promises are true. His promises are true. Everything, when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he, he put his hands underneath us through that time, and he lifted us up. We had no strength of our own, and he carried us right through every bit of that. I can't imagine going through something like that without having first eaten of the bread of life. Do you know that we have such a wonderful and loving and gracious God? He puts us on a path that leads us to Him. God put Joseph's brothers on a path through famine, through trouble, that brought them to the place where they had to bow before the only one who could give them bread. And you might say, but they didn't know it was Joseph yet. They didn't know it was Joseph. Do you know what's so amazing about that? That's the way most people are. Most people go and they want the trappings of Christianity. They want the joy and the peace and the morality that comes from Christianity. And what happens is they step into Christianity and they find that it's more than that, that it's Jesus that gives the answer. 
There are a lot of people in Christianity who are there for the life. They're there for the, the fellowship. They're there for answers. But they never actually bow down before Jesus Christ. Do you know that's who Jacob was? Look at the text. Verse 4. Back in chapter 42. Verse 4, But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came. Now something, just take two seconds. I want you to see this. Jacob, after he met God at Bethel, God changed his name to what? Israel. And so whenever Jacob is living in the flesh and acting like he's not supposed to, the Bible then calls him Jacob. When he's doing what he's supposed to, God calls him Israel. It's, it happens more than 20 times in the book of Genesis. So Jacob keeps Benjamin back from the only one that can save his life. Do you realize how many religious people do that? Religious people, because their family has always been a part of a certain church, because they've always lived a certain way. The Bible could not be clearer. It's not Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Buddhist. It's Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And yet so many parents, they keep their kids because of tradition, because of prejudice, because of bias. They keep their kids from the only one that can give them life. Benjamin's going to die. And look, look at the next verse. Jacob keeps Benjamin back, but the sons of Israel go where there's life. This happens over and over and over again. Many people feel their satisfaction to be found in their Christianity, but have no idea that all depends upon their personal relationship with the living and loving Christ. Religious people, whether Jews or any other religion, in their misplaced faith, Keep their families from the only one who can give them life, Jesus Christ. So Jacob kept Benjamin back and refused to let him go. Many parents do this today for religious reasons. They actually keep their children back from Christ and eternal life. And it's interesting, that same thing happens in our text. Look at what happens. Verse 7, And Joseph saw his brethren... And he knew them. Look at verse 8. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. It's amazing how many religious people have no idea who Jesus Christ is. These are his brothers, and they don't know who he is. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says blindness has come in part to the Jews. You know that you can, you can show a Jewish person, Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected of men. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He's taken as a sheep to the slaughter, silent before his shearers. He went over and over and over again. You can look at the Passover in Exodus chapters 11 and 12, and you can see Jesus Christ. They take, and they, they take the hyssop branch, and they take the spotless lamb, and they kill it, and they take the blood from that Passover lamb, and they put it on the lentil and on the side posts of the door, making a cross. And Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is our Passover. You can take them to to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're thrown into the fiery furnace, and there's a fourth man in the fiery furnace, and he looks like he's the Son of God, and you can show them Jesus. You can show them Jesus all through the Bible, and they won't see it. They won't see it. And you can take religious people today, and you can show them that the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And they still believe they have to add something to that. They still believe it. Because you can put the truth of the Word of God in front of them. And they say, we will not have this man to reign over us. The Bible says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. The Bible says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you? He died to pay your sin debt. You know what the next verse says? Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. You see, what God is going to do God has opened the pathway. God has directed your life. God has put you on that rail to be in a place to hear that Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior. He's brought you to this place today just as He brought Joseph's brothers down from Canaan to Egypt to bow before the only one who could have bread. He's brought you to the place. But He can't make you bow right now. You can choose to bow right now. Or like in Genesis chapter 37, you can say, we will not have this man to reign over us. But one day, Jesus Christ is coming back. And you will bow. Every knee shall bow. You say, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. No. You wouldn't see it. I have just revealed for you from the Bible supernatural prophetic truth that defies every mathematical equation that your reason could come up with. God has supernaturally foretold what would happen 
and then demonstrated historically that it did. What more can he do for you? So you can trust your religion. You can trust your tradition. You can trust your good works. None of that will feed your soul. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want to live, you've got to go where there's bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Thank you, Lord, so much for saving. Thank you so much for dying. Thank you so much for offering us eternal life.